0: Chapter Fourteen of the Day's Journey. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Day's Journey by Netta Schrett. Chapter Fourteen. By the time November came round again, Cecily's life had settled down to a more or less steady routine. She gave the mornings to her work, and her book was growing. Her afternoons and many evenings were taken up by social duties and occasional pleasures. With the persistence of a patient going through a prescribed cure, she contrived that no hour of her time should be unoccupied. She cultivated her natural gifts as a clever hostess, and began to entertain. Her little parties were popular, for like her father, who in his time had been a famous host, she possessed an instinct for the right people, and it began to be assumed that at mrs Kingslake's one would at least escape a dull evening sometimes her husband was present more often he was away but he encouraged the parties and gradually cecily grew accustomed to knowing as little of his engagements as if he were a stranger philippa had not taken up her duties as secretary until their return to town in the autumn after a holiday which cecily had spent with diana by the sea and robert abroad whence he had written occasional letters vague in tone as well as address The two women scarcely ever met. At ten o'clock, when Philippa went to Robert's study, Cecily was at work in her own room, of which she did not emerge until after the secretary's hour for departure. With all her strength, she strove to forget her presence in the house, and the effort, at first apparently impossible, became at last no effort at all. Gradually, her work absorbed her. Gradually, she began to live in another world of her own creating— often so completely that she woke with a start to the consciousness of her outward existence in so far as it connected at all with her husband it was of the strangeness of this that she had been thinking one afternoon as she walked through st james's park on her way home it was the hour of twilight that hour which in the autumn and in london has a magic past the power of words the dusky red of sunset lingered and burned solemnly through that swimming purple haze which london draws like a veil softly over its parks its squares its ugliest streets turning to velvet softness the outlines of church palace or factory on her left rendered more gigantic by the effect of the haze the huge block of queen anne's mansions loomed like a medieval fortress on the farther side of a mist-filled valley from which slender poplars sprang everywhere points of flame ringed at the gathering darkness flames of trembling amber specks of crimson and emerald where the hansoms were moving and before her at the end of the broad avenue silver globes burned before the great vague pile of masonry which was buckingham palace cecily watched slowly aware of the mysterious beauty of that brief moment when night touches departing day there was a wisp of a silver moon in the deep blue overhead and near it one star trembled involuntarily she smiled and started to realize that it was for happiness what had become of the torment the unrest of even a year ago it was gone she had peace she was out of bondage she felt the beauty of the world almost as an intoxication with the keenness the freshness of perception that seemed granted to human faculties after pain the thought of her nearly completed book thrilled her with pleasurable excitement. She remembered that Maine was coming to dinner and that she had promised to read him the last completed chapter. They would have a nice little time together by the fire before the theater to which he was going to take her. Robert was to be out. She did not know where, though she guessed, and it didn't matter. She drew herself up with a thrill of thankfulness that it did not matter. It was wonderful to be out of pain. THE REALIZATION THAT SHE HAD REFUSED TO BE CRUSHED BY CIRCUMSTANCES, THAT SHE HAD MASTERED HER LIFE AND TURNED IT AT HER WILL, FILLED HER WITH A SENSE OF TRIUMPH, OF EXULTATION. INVOLUNTARILY SHE QUICKENED HER PACE, AS THOUGH TO MAKE HER STEPS KEEP TIME TO HER EAGER THOUGHTS. AS SHE CROSSED VICTORIA STREET, THE GREAT campanile OF THE CATHEDRAL DREW HER EYES UPWARD toward THE STARS, AND HER HEART TOWARDS IT IN GRATITUDE. AT THIS HOUR IT WAS MORE WONDERFUL THAN EVER its outline faint and purple melting like a dream into the purple sky with it she always associated her liberty her present peace her recovered energy all that had brought her out of hell into the light of day when she entered the flat and opened the drawing-room door it was to think how pretty how cosy it looked in the firelight tea was ready on a low table near the hearth the firelight danced over the dainty flowered cups and darting about the room fell now upon a bowl of roses now on emerald silk of a cushion bringing its colour out in strong relief against the pale-tinted walls a maid came in with a teapot and a plate of hot cakes and long after she had put down her cup cecily sat dreaming over the fire she roused presently with a glance at the clock to find it was time to change her dress all the while she moved about in her bedroom taking off her walking-gown, doing her hair, fastening the bodice of her evening dress, her mind was pleasantly preoccupied. She was thinking of the people in her book, people who were flesh and blood to her. They would be discussed to-night, and Dick was no lenient critic. She wondered what he would think of her last chapter. All at once, with a curious sense of having failed to realize something, she began to wonder what she should do without Dick, "'Suppose he were to start now on another expedition, next week, perhaps?' She was fastening a chain round her neck when the possibility occurred to her, and all at once her hands dropped down into her lap, and she stared blankly into the glass. The thought startled her. It was a little like having the solid ground upon which she walked, and which she accepted without consideration as part of the recognized order of things, cut from under her feet.' So confused and absorbed was she at first, that not for some time did she become conscious of her own reflection in the mirror. When her mind was awake to it, that too came as a surprise. She was almost pretty again. There was clear color in her cheeks. Her eyes were bright. I suppose this frock is becoming, she told herself as she turned away. Dick was waiting for her when she re-entered the drawing-room. He was standing near the fire, holding one hand to the blaze, and as he turned she thought how big he looked how reliable and she smiled it was surprising how glad she always was to see dick he never bored her you're looking very pleased with things in general he observed as he took her hand is it because you've got on a new dress i agree with you it's charming cecily laughed shall i turn round slowly to give you the full effect observe the lining of its sleeves and its dear little crystal clasps I have observed them, he said, and their effect on you, it's all that could be wished. He spoke lightly, but his tone did not tend to diminish her light-hearted mood. Now come, she explained, sit here. Did you think you were here to enjoy yourself? You've got to listen to this chapter before dinner and listen hard, and think how you can put severe criticism into a palatable form for me. I insist on the criticism, but I won't take it neat." She went to her writing-table and returned with the written chapter, while Dick obediently settled himself into a comfortable chair. "'Go ahead,' he remarked. "'May I smoke?' The fire clicked a pleasant accompaniment to Cecily's voice. The lamplight streamed down upon her soft, thick hair. One of her hands hung over the arm of the chair, white and slender against the folds of her dress. It was her left hand, and the firelight fell upon the gold of her wedding ring." Maine looked at it once and averted his gaze with a half-frown at first it was altogether of her he was thinking his pulses still beating rather quickly as they always beat when he first saw her at every one of their meetings at the beginning of their intimacy he had been terribly afraid of betraying himself of making their friendship impossible but he had long ago learned to trust his own power of self-control and his manner to cecily had been the perfection of that affectionate friendliness whose justification is long acquaintance gradually his attention began to be held by what she was reading it seemed to him to be very good this impression increased as she went on till he grew absorbed almost breathless when finally she put down the last sheet and looked up at him rather nervously he was silent well she demanded her voice shaking with a tremulous laugh Maine got up and put his back against the mantelpiece bravo he said deliberately it's good sis jolly good there was a moment's pause during which the color rushed into her face and her hands began to tremble the particular scene she had read had meant a great deal to her how much she had not realized till she heard his evidently deeply felt words of praise you think so she forced herself to say i know it he returned in the decisive voice which had often comforted her he looked down at her smiling didn't i always say you could do it i don't care what the public verdict is and it quite likely to be slighting. you've done a splendid piece of work and by jove if you're half as proud of it as i am he paused and they both laughed dick she said gently after a moment i shouldn't have done it at all if it hadn't been for you the door opened at the moment and the parlor maid came in to announce dinner cecily sprang up come along she said gaily we must gallop through the courses there are scarcely any by the way or else we shall be late and i hate being late maine followed her into the dining-room glad and sorry for the interruption and through dinner and afterwards in the cab on their way to the haymarket they talked on in different topics it's going to rain said cecily as they drew up before the door and indeed when they came out after the play the streets were all wet and shining isn't it beautiful and wonderful she exclaimed as they drove home it's aladdin's palace the streets were like long rivers of silver in which were reflected trembling shafts of gold and ruby and amber overhead the moon sailed clear of the clouds in an enormous gulf of star-sown sky how can any one say that london isn't wonderful she went on to me it's a magic city. Look at those great swinging globes. They're shooting out starry spikes of enchantment all the time. And see those trees against the sky. They had turned into the mall by this time, and Dick glanced at her. Her eyes were shining, her lips a little parted with eagerness. Suddenly he thought of the woman with whom he had walked across the meadows at Sheepcoat. He recalled her drawn face and faded eyes, and something that was almost like an instinct of cruelty prompted his next words how does miss barton do as a secretary he asked he had never before alluded to her daily presence in the house she glanced at him a moment in her turn oh i believe very well she returned quietly with no trace of confusion robert hopes to get his new book out in the spring and yours it's got to be accepted first she returned with a laugh but i shall finish it in a week i think she sighed how i shall miss it begin something else at once he advised you have ideas thousands she said gaily they were near home by this time and main put out his hand i congratulate you cecily looked at him on the book you mean on everything he returned gravely there was a moment's silence good night Said Cecily, as he took her latch key and opened the hall door for her. Thank you so much. End of chapter fourteen.